Welcome to TIFF Talk, sponsored by Endogastric Solutions, a podcast that interviews physicians and real-life patients about the most common gastrointestinal disorder, GERD, commonly known as chronic acid reflux. Listen to patients and physicians interact, break down the disease from different perspectives, and learn how taking the next step in your treatment can change your life. For our audio listeners, you can see visuals on our YouTube channel at GERD Help. The TIF procedure may or may not be appropriate for your health condition. Only your doctor can explain the benefits and risks of all treatment options. Results may vary. Visit GERDHelp.com for more clinical data. The TIF procedure for reflux was developed by Endogastric Solutions Incorporated. Hello and good evening, everybody, and thank you for joining our TIFF talk tonight. We're very excited to have a special guest, Dr. David Hartgroder. Thank you, Dr. Hartgroder, for being here tonight. Well, thank you for inviting me, Andrea. You're welcome. So as a reminder, my name is Andrea Millers uh, with Endogastric Solutions. This is a live event, and at any time, if you have any questions, please feel free to type them in the comment section and we will do our best to answer all of the questions that come in. Uh, we actually have uh, Lynn McFadden who is also going to be jumping on with us and asking the questions um, from the Facebook users. So uh, as they come in, uh, you'll see Lynn jump on the screen as well. So uh, before we start, I do want to uh, tell you a little bit more about Dr. Hargroder. He is a board certified general surgeon in Missouri. He specializes in bariatric general and trauma surgery. Dr. Hargroder completed his residency, fellowships, and medical school at Louisiana State University in Shreveport. He is affiliated with Mercy Hospitals and sees patients in his general surgery clinics in both Carthage and Joplin, Missouri. Again, we can't thank you enough for being here with us today, Dr. Hargroder. Thank you. Happy to be here. Fantastic. So we're here to talk about GERD and the TIF procedure. So um, I'm going to let you kick it off and tell us a little bit more about what is GERD, uh, what uh, could patients potentially um, be feeling if they're suffering from GERD, um, and just kind of talk maybe about some typical symptoms, atypical symptoms. And sure. Well, thank you. Yeah, GERD, gastroesophageal reflux disease. And lots of people hear that term and kind of wonder what it is. It's that true feeling of heartburn, of, of you know, your gastric juices that are kind of migrating up into your chest and literally give you chest pain. They can make you wake up in the middle of the night coughing and choking, uh, feeling like you're drowning. That's, you know, some of the worst cases. Uh, a lot of times the ENT doctors will notice it or the dentists will notice it because patients will be having problems with their teeth right. uh, or a kind of a chronic nagging cough that they don't know where it comes from without even having much symptoms of reflux. It's kind of a silent reflux. It's, right. uh, it's, uh, it's more in the pharyngeal, laryngeal area of the back of the throat. So these are all things that... Uh, can, uh, are just nothing but the gastric juices that are refluxing up into your esophagus, into the back of your throat, and over the long term 
can actually cause some pretty significant problems, uh, starting with just basic esophagitis, inflammation of the esophagus, which then can lead to Barrett's esophagus. Some people may have heard that term. It's sort of a pre-malignancy to full-blown esophageal cancer, which is one of the big risks of having chronic, untreated gastroesophageal reflux. Right. Thank you for that. And, uh, you know, I, as a surgeon, um, I, I know patients probably come to you already down, you know, the further of the spectrum of the disease, right? But um, if you are talking to a patient um, that does have GERD, what do you typically recommend them to do to kind of manage their GERD before they even get to the point of um, either medical therapy and or even, uh, you know, a procedural sure. therapy? Um, you know, GERD is so common and, and even patients that are coming to me for a gallbladder or a hernia or something else, you get to talking to them and you find out <laughs> the majority of them have some degree of reflux. Now, if it's just mild reflux, there are just some simple things you can do. You know, an occasional dose of, of a Prilosec or Nexium or one of these proton pump inhibitors. Uh, yeah, it looks at least a couple of hours before bedtime. You know, these are some of the common simple things that can be done without even having to resort to medication. Right, right. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, you're mentioning medication. Talk to us a little bit about um the types of medications that are available, um, both over the counter and also um, prescribed, um, you know, the PPI therapy medication. Uh. One of the things to keep in mind, there are several different medicines, some of them over the counter, things as simple as uh, Gaviscon, which is like an antacid that foams up and creates a barrier uh, at the end of the esophagus where the esophagus enters into the uh, into the stomach. Um, Pepsid and, and other, uh, Zantac, which is now off the market because of it's been associated with cancer, uh, Tagamet and Pepsid, et cetera, these H2 blockers, relatively safe drugs uh, and can be taken relatively long-term. As with the PPIs, proton pump inhibitors, Prilosec, Nexium, Protonics, there's a whole host of those drugs as well. But you know, it's one of the things that a lot of people who are on these drugs treating their reflux, when I talk to them, it's like it's news to them. Like they had no idea that when they're taking these drugs, they're not really treating the reflux itself, mm. right? They're treating the symptoms of the reflux because it's like you're neutralizing the acid so you don't get the caustic burn, but you're not actually stopping the reflux. So, yeah. you know, that's one of the key things I think a lot of people don't, don't really realize is when they take the drugs for reflux, uh, most of them anyway, uh, are just treating the symptoms and not actually treating the, the true reflux itself. 
flux itself. Yeah, I mean that could that you're absolutely right. Um, and and for a, I think I think patients are getting smarter these days and starting to hear more about uh, potential long term effects of of PPIs and taking medications. You know. And most patients self-prescribe themselves um, over-the-counter PPIs, right? I mean, I'm guilty of that as well. Uh, but, you know, you had mentioned um, that there's other options and there's other, um, what, like, what do you, um, what other options are there available for patients at this point um, to manage, or not to manage, to fix their GERD, not just the symptoms. We sort of look at it as a spectrum. You know, you've got your mild cases that an occasional antacid, an occasional PPI like Prilosec, usually will take care of it, propping your bed up on a couple of blocks to keep the reflux when you're asleep uh, is better. The medicines, for the most part, are just treating the symptoms, as I said. And so it's helpful to understand that GERD is really the result of anatomic problems between the esophagus and the stomach. There's what we call the uh, GE junction and the lower esophageal sphincter, which is not really a true sphincter. Uh, that is a muscle that tightens. It's like a one-way valve. Yeah. but but the anatomic configuration of the positioning of the stomach just under the diaphragm with the esophagus leading to the stomach right at the level of the diaphragm, the pressure gradient between the lower pressure in the chest cavity and the higher pressure in the esophagus or in the belly, in the abdomen. You need a valve to prevent your stomach contents from refluxing up into your esophagus because your natural tendency with a high pressure in the belly and a low pressure in the chest is going to be every time you strain, every time you kind of bend over, you're going to be forcing stomach contents up into your chest. Very miserable. And so what normal people that don't have GERD uh, have experienced is they have a very well-formed valve between the esophagus and the stomach. People who suffer from reflux, that valve is faulty. And sometimes it's even made worse by a hiatal hernia, mm -hmm. which is part of the stomach herniates up into the chest. And it's supposed to stay down below the diaphragm, but it goes up into the chest. And that can further exacerbate or make worse those symptoms of reflux. Yeah, yeah, right. And to your point, uh, if they're taking PPIs or any type of medication, they're still refluxing, correct? Correct, exactly. Right, right. so they're still susceptible to potentially bear it, you know, if it's long-term or whatnot. So uh, that's a really good point. Can you talk a little bit about um, the treatment options past the medical therapy? Um, obviously, we're going to talk about the TIF procedure, but maybe talk about the Nissen procedure as well and any other um, 
treatment options Gus? Well, you know, the, uh, the treatment, the surgical treatment for uh, GERD traditionally has been the Nissen fundoplication. And the Nissen fundoplication has been around for a long time. It's a, it's a, a good operation, but it does have its drawbacks and it has its, its problems. If you can imagine you're trying to create artificially a valve of some sort to prevent stuff from going, stomach contents from going from the stomach up into the esophagus. And so what we do for a Nissen fundoplication is the stomach is a kind of got a big floppy top portion to it. And you can reach around from the back of the stomach, grab that portion of the stomach and literally wrap it around itself so that you get a 360 degree wrap of the stomach around itself and around the very end of the esophagus. Now, when you do that, that makes a very effective anti-reflux valve. It has definite negative consequences as well. And that is patients literally can't belch or vomit if they get sick. And so you have this feeling of bloatiness. You just need to belch and you can't. And it's very disconcerting. It's very uncomfortable. And as far as quality of life goes, patients oftentimes comment on that as something that boy, if I knew it was going to be this bad, you know, I'm not sure I would have had that had that done. Now, it'll stop the reflux, but it's also this issue that you have to live with, right? right. And right. then from there, there's also, it doesn't necessarily last forever. There's mm-hmm. a certain incidence when you have a Nissen, there's always going to be that patient that's going to come back to you because... The wrap slipped, became misplaced, something happened, and the reflux symptoms come back. That's So surgeons, as a general rule, have an attitude of, I'm only going to do this as a last resort for you mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's not perfect. It's not, there's some unpleasantries that go with the Nissen. And so it's one of those, and it doesn't always last as long as you would hope that it would. Right. So, so you're switching one symptom for another exactly. symptom, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. yeah. Uh, we actually have a question. Um, so Lynn, um, We have a question from Mar- Marius. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Thank you for posting Marius. Um, how do you, Dr. Hargreter, how do you view the concept of treating GERD by increasing or improving stomach acidity, using things like slippery elm bark to reduce inflammation, and soothing aloe vera? Well, again, I think even with these homeopathic treatments and herbal treatments, uh, while there may be some advantage to their safety profile, as a drug, you know, as an herb versus a drug and having sort of natural uh, occurrences, you're still 
only treating the symptoms. So the patient is still going to have reflux. It just doesn't hurt. So you don't notice it. Mm. But that, but those gastric uh, contents are still refluxing up into the esophagus. And so really the only way to stop that is an anatomic correction. Right, Good right. And, and they're probably still uh, regurgitating as well. And they'll, they'll feel that for sure come up into their... Yeah, uh, if it's bad enough, they'll feel it in the back of their throat. But if yeah. it's just gone up into their esophagus, lower esophagus, you know, that's the, that's the kind of reflux that can potentially lead to Barrett's esophagus and cancer. So you're not stopping that. You're just stopping the burning that goes along with the reflux. Yeah, very good. The damage, the damage is still potentially. Still here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Lynn, it sounds like we have another question. We do. Um, it, when you Thank you for describing the other fundoplications and some of the other inter interventions that are available, Dr. Hargroder. Um, what do you do in your practice when you do uh, potentially see a patient who had a failed Nissen or other inter intervention? Um, how do you proceed in treating those folks? Yeah, and we've I've, I've treated a few of these. And basically, you know, we do more or less the standard workup. If you've had a Nissen before, we're going to send you to one of our GI specialists and have them do uh, some testing to find out with objective data. You know, the difference between objective data and subjective data. Subjective data is you're telling me you're having symptoms of reflux. And there's a sense of communication and trust and faith that everybody's telling the story accurately, that's subjective information. When we send you to a GI specialist for a Bravo test, for example, or a esophageal manometer, where they measure the pressures in your esophagus, we get back objective, irrefutable data that tells us, yes, indeed, you do have reflux, how serious the reflux is, and then that sort of leads us down a path of whether it's mild and can be treated with just uh, an occasional antacid, or it's serious enough that we need to proceed with some anatomic correction. Perfect. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Can you talk, uh, you did mention two types of tests. Um, what is the diagnostic testing pathway, if you will, if a patient's coming in um, to be diagnosed, A, with GERD, and then to potentially be a candidate for uh, the TIF? Yeah, it's, it's not necessarily a one-size-fits-all. You know, everybody's kind of yeah. individualized. But for the most part, everybody is going to get a preoperative EGD, a scope to look and see just how bad is the esophagus, how bad is the inflammation, is there any inflammation at all. We'll probably do biopsies to make sure that you don't have a specific type of esophagitis called eosinophilic esophagitis, which is more of a, an allergic reaction than a, than a true reflux problem and one that fixing the valve probably won't fix. Sure. Uh, 
So they'll get a scope by me personally uh, to check to see if you also have a concomitant hiatal hernia because that will change a little bit the path of how we treat it. Um, we have a study called a Bravo uh, where they'll place a little sensor halfway down your esophagus and it actually measures the pH, which is the acidity of the uh, gastric contents coming up into your esophagus and correlating it with the symptoms that you're having. So you'll wear that Bravo for, you know, a day or so, and you'll record whenever you're having symptoms of reflux. And then we can tie those two together to see if the symptoms are tied to the actual reflux. One other test that we commonly do is a um, is the manometry, esophageal manometry, and that's to make sure that you don't have any uh, motility problems of your esophagus that would maybe contraindicate an anatomic correction like the TIF or the Nissen. In other words, if you have a flaccid esophagus that doesn't adequately propel food down into the stomach, then you might get into some big trouble if we get a wrap making more resistance and now all of a sudden you can't swallow your food. So there's a few of these tests that we have to do, A, to make sure you're a good candidate, and B, to make sure that it's safe to proceed and that you don't have any kind of underlying condition that would make it not the right thing to do. Thing to do. Yeah, I love that. Uh, you mentioning the personal, everyone's you know, different and not everyone's going to go through that same um, pathway. Um, so thank you for sharing that. I think we have another question. Lynn, go ahead. Yes, we do. We have quite a few. So I'm just going to pass these on to you um, one at a time. Um, we have, um, can acid from GERD cause dental issues from, this is from Absolutely. And that's, uh, you know, some of the referrals we get, we get a lot of referrals from general practice, family practice doctors, but we also get referrals from ENT as well as dentists because dentists will make that discovery of uh, recurrent cavities and, and gum problems. And it's all related to this chronic uh, reflux of acid. So absolutely it can. Wonderful. Thank you for that, Dr. Hargroder. Um, my mom has a gastric lap band. Would she be able to get a test? She has been diagnosed with GERD. Well, the problem with lap bands is the they create the GERD to some degree because of the configuration creating sort of this, you've got the stomach, and you've got the esophagus. And just below where the stomach meets the esophagus, you've now wrapped a band around the stomach, creating resistance down into the rest of the stomach. And so that creates an even higher pressure system that really, I don't think a TIF is going to help the, you know, the thing that's gonna resolve that is to loosen the band. But then you loosen the band, and you gain your weight back. So it's it's kind of a kind of a dilemma. 
if you're having really bad reflux uh, from the um, lap band, what some surgeons are doing is actually removing the lap band, performing something like a TIF procedure, uh, and then possibly moving on to some different form of weight loss procedure. Yeah, good point. Thank you. Yes, we do. We have a couple more, if that's okay. Uh, Pretty active crowd this evening. evening. And thanks, everyone, for all the questions. Uh, Madeline asks, how can you get off of your PPIs? My ear doctor diagnosed me with silent Um, The Really, the only way to get off of it is to have the anatomic defect corrected. And that's really the reason we're here tonight is to talk to you about an option that is available in the TIF procedure, uh, which is a procedure that will actually fix the root problem. So you ask, how do you get off of it? You have the TIF procedure, and you'll find uh, that you'll be able to get off of your PPIs most likely within different practices, do it differently, but there are some practices will get you off of your PPI the very next day. There are some practices that I know will keep you on it for a couple of weeks just to let you heal up from the recent surgery. But really, the only way to effectively treat that silent reflux is a surgical uh, procedure or a TIF procedure, which is technically not a surgical procedure, but an endoscopic procedure to... Um, to correct the anatomy, to correct the anatomic uh, defect. Yeah, you know what, since um, you're on that point, right, you're on that point right now, uh, maybe before we go and get more questions, uh, maybe you can explain what the TIF procedure is and how it works. That might answer some questions. (laughs) (laughs) And do you all have that animated video to play to by any chance or not? We do, but we don't have it queued up. I I apologize, but we can um, post it. Actually, um, I think I'm looking at my producer right now, Christian, to see if he's able to post it uh, <laughs> into the chat box. If not, we'll we'll have a link to it where they sure. can get it on YouTube and watch it. But that's yeah. a really good point. Yeah, it's real easy to find. I mean, if you just type in TIFF animation, you'll find it on YouTube. Yeah. But uh, but basically, the TIFF procedure, and uh, you know, I was actually. Uh, trained in the TIF procedure 10 years ago and then kind of it was ahead of its time and so we weren't getting reimbursed for it by the insurance companies and that was a problem so uh, but it was a few years ago that uh, that Keith one of your representatives approached me again and I started doing this procedure and I have to tell you I have just been blown away by the results and there is nothing more satisfying than having, a, for example, a 70-year-old woman who comes into your office saying, I have had reflux for the past 30-plus years. I have lived in misery with this for 30-plus years. We bring them into the hospital. We do this uh, less than an hour-long procedure, overnight stay in the hospital, and they come in for their one-week follow-up and their their reflux is gone. It's 
it really is an amazing phenomenon that I'm thrilled to be a part of. So how does it work? Well, basically, there is a scope that we pass through your mouth, just like, now you're asleep for all of this. You're under complete general anesthetic, so you don't know what's going on. But a, a scope is passed through your mouth, and it's got this special uh, TIFF device that is over the scope. It slides into your mouth, down to your esophagus, into your stomach, and everything is done from inside the stomach. You flip the scope back on itself, and you're looking up at where the stomach meets the uh, esophagus. And through some special little devices that are uh, in in the device, a device within a device, the little coil grabs that tissue, pulls it down, and it's as though it's puckering up the tissues and creating a little one-way valve. Uh, and so when you're finished with it, what was a um, free opening between the stomach and the esophagus has now been puckered into a little a little valve that's like a one-way valve where stuff easily flows down but it but it doesn't easily flow back up yeah i love the the puckered um comment of how it looks because you're right it looks like a, a puckered uh valve if you will can you yeah. talk a little bit about the hiatal hernia uh component of it uh the the repair with the TIF procedure and how that works. And and for you, Dr. Hargroder, that's something you can do both of those procedures at one time, right? Maybe explain Correct. that as well. Yeah, you know, the reality is as much as we promote this TIF procedure as a wonderful, non-invasive, no surgical incisions, the hard reality is that probably 80 to 90% of the patients that come to me with reflux also have a hiatal hernia. Now, there's a lot of misunderstanding about what a hiatal hernia is because people are like, well, show me where it is. You know, they think of a belly button hernia or a groin hernia. You must be able to see it or feel it, but you can't because it's it's inside. It's, it's under the rib cage. It's where the diaphragm, that you have a right and a left leaf of the diaphragm and where they come together Normally, the esophagus would be very tight coming through that little hole that is at the hiatus of the two leaves of the diaphragm. When you have a hernia, that hole is bigger. So if you can see my little fingers, instead of a little hole, you have a great big hole. And now the whole stomach can sort of come in and out that causes even more of an exaggerated anatomic abnormality. So what we have to do in that situation is we'll go in with a laparoscope, five little tiny incisions, two below the right and left rib cage, one just above the belly button, each one about a quarter of an inch long. And we're looking with a camera inside your abdomen. We find where the two leaves of the diaphragm are separated that's the hernia and we put some stitches well first we pull the stomach back into its normal location 
and then we tighten the two lobes of the diaphragm so that the stomach is staying where it's supposed to, below the diaphragm. That portion takes about 20 minutes or so to complete, and then once we're finished with that, then we turn our attention to the TIFF procedure, where we pass the scope down the mouth and pucker up the GE junction. <laughs> I like that. Wonderful. Like that. Wonderful. Thank you for that explanation. So talk to us a little bit about post-op or what can a patient expect uh, the, you know, after, right after they have the procedure, you had mentioned, you know, ideally uh, having this procedure and uh, gets you off of your PPIs, you know, are they going to get off their PPI right away if they're, if they're seeing you or had the procedure? Um, are they going to have any pain? And then also talk maybe about what they can expect, um, you know, diet-wise. We always get questions about diet and uh, potential uh, opportunity uh, for physical activity afterwards. Sure. Well, the thing to keep in mind with the TIF procedure is the new valve that we have created is fashioned with these little eye tabs that are very strong, but not indestructible. And we want to make sure that we give your body adequate time to heal. And, and so the tissues themselves sort of scar into place so that six or eight weeks down the road if any of those little tabs were to come out it wouldn't matter because the scar tissue has is holding everything in its proper place but for those first few weeks after the surgery it's really important that you kind of take it easy to allow that healing process to take place and that can take up to six weeks, really, for it to become fully healed. And so one of the uh, things that I tell my patients, and I, I do not paint a pretty picture <laughs> when I warn them that their diet for the first two weeks is kind of miserable. <laughs> That's the feedback that I get from most patients. Yeah. You know, I do, I do weight loss surgery as well. And and they are on a strict diet for two weeks, but for them it doesn't matter because they're not hungry. The, the weight loss surgery makes them not hungry, and so they're not, they don't worry that they're only on, you know, Gatorade and crackers, you know, and a little yogurt. Yeah. Yeah. But, with the, but with patients having the TIF procedure, it doesn't really affect your hunger. So you're still hungry, but yet you're on this very strict, almost liquid diet for the first few days a little more than liquid, but still very strict for the first couple of weeks. And so I have had patients come in one week after surgery, and while they're very happy because they're not having reflux anymore and they're off their PPI, I tell them to stop their PPI the day after surgery. Okay. I mean, if, if what I'm doing really works, then you shouldn't need it. And, yeah. and sure enough, they come in a week later and they're like, you know, you're right. I didn't need it, but I'm pretty miserable with this darn diet that you've got me on. <laughs> but, you know, it's the good news is most of the patients lose 10 or 15 pounds also. Upside. So, so there is an upside to, to that very strict diet. But it is a strict diet for the first, the first few days are super strict. 
the first couple of weeks are pretty strict. And then that diet carries on for a total of eight weeks where each week it's a little less strict, a little less strict. And after the first couple of weeks, it's really not so bad. Yeah, yeah, perfect. We had uh, last week, we did a special on the diet um, and we had a doctor walk through all the different things. Is this good to eat? Is this not good to eat? So if you uh, are watching and you missed last week's, you may want to watch that. And there's some great uh, tips and um, some some patients gave us some recommendations on what they did to get through their diet. So, but to your point, it is very important um, in the healing process. It's, it's also what I've been told is, um, you know, teaching yourself how to eat again, real slow, chewing really well, uh, and then kind of breaking up your meals into smaller meals that, you know, throughout the day. So it's almost like a, almost close. I, I used to, uh, work in bariatrics. So I remember, yeah. I remember those diets. <laughs> yeah, it is very, very similar to that. Yeah. Yeah. Very, yeah. So talk to us a little bit about, uh, the physical activity. Uh, you had mentioned, you know, making sure that we don't overextend, um, what you just created as far yeah. as food, eating food, but then also, um, I think the hard part too is, you know, when can I go back to work and then can I start exercising? I lift weights or, um, can I run and all, all, what do you recommend for, um, sure. I, you know, I'm, I think I'm in line with y'all, with your company's, uh, <laughs> literature and everything, but I have to be honest, I'm a big advocate of people living their lives. People have things to do. They have places to go. So I try not to be overly restrictive. Okay. I do recognize the physiology is such that it takes a good six weeks for all of that scar tissue to really build up and, and make this thing, you know, you think of it as, as, you know, you've laid a concrete foundation, you don't want to pour it dries, right. or you'll have a big footprint in the, in the middle of the sidewalk, right? So sure. we've just created this, this new uh, valve, and it takes six weeks for the cement to set, so to speak, for the scarring <laughs> to take place. So I don't want you going home and moving furniture and weightlifting and, and, you know, doing things that require, you know, heavy kind of straining type of activity. But you want to walk on a treadmill, you want to ride a bike, you want to go shopping, you, you know, those sort of activities. You want to go on a power walk? Uh, I think those things are fine. I probably wouldn't be sprinting or, or, or doing really heavy exertional type activity, but just living day to day, I'm I'm fairly lenient with people, and I it hadn't gotten me in trouble yet. So we'll see. <laughs> I love that. Uh, wonderful. So. Lynn, did, I, I know you had, we had a couple of um, questions. I'll, I'll let you uh, come back on and ask the other questions that we've gotten, if you don't mind. No, not at all. We have, we have a lot, but um, we do have a couple of comments too. Uh, one, I'll just give you the comment based on the diet post-procedurally. Um, this, uh, Kathy gives us, I'm six months post-op TIF and hiatal hernia repair. I honestly wasn't hungry for about the first month. Followed the instructions and diet very closely, which is very key. 
So it's a fantastic comment to be shared. Yeah, great. Yeah. Um, we have one that's asking, how long does the TIF procedure last? Is it a lifetime? And what are some of the limita limitations and drawbacks after a TIF? Well, you know, the TIF's been around for how long now? 15 years or so? So, yeah. you know, can we say it's a lifetime? Well, we don't know yet because it hadn't been around for 100 years. But we do know that it's got pretty darn good results at 15 years or at least at eight years. I know there's actual medical literature that, that talks about the uh, eight-year success rate. Uh, I've been doing this now for three years, and you know the patients that I've got three years out are still outstanding. Y'all can probably talk about the company's literature and y'all's own studies that I know, you know I've seen some of those. And when you compare it to the Nissan, for example, I think the results of the TIF are actually better results that uh, that that the the resolution of the reflux that we see at week one you're seeing in a very high percentage of patients five years eight years ten years ten years out yeah. uh, and I'm looking forward to that of time so I can report on my own data rather than relying on the company's data yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, but uh, you know in the in the cases that I've done I mean I'm I'm seeing it right now I'm seeing it firsthand the uh, the, the dramatic results you know as far as drawbacks you know I mean I don't like painting too perfect of a picture uh, but I honestly have not really had any substantial drawbacks that I have found with this procedure. I haven't had a patient that really thought, man, this was a mistake. I, I had no idea I was going to have this problem or that problem. Uh, it's, it's really been pretty smooth sailing so far for me. Yeah, that's interesting. I was, yeah, that's interesting. I was going to ask you, uh, you know, I, I'm assuming you were doing Nissan's before you started doing the TIF procedure. And to your point um, with the side effects and the, as you had mentioned, the issues that you were having, um, you probably saw those patients come come back. But to your point, are you like, do you see a difference of Nissen patients that you've done Nissen on versus uh, TIF uh, patients that you've done TIF on? And you're well, seeing honestly, to be clear, I have I was not a big Nissen doctor. Okay. okay. I I didn't I was not much of an advocate for. Uh, anti-reflux surgery because I didn't really like the results that I read about. So if someone came to me and wanted a Nissen, I'd say, look, if you want a Nissen, here's this doctor over here that does a lot of them and he's really good at it. Why don't you go to him? Because I just wasn't really that excited about anti-reflux surgery. And it wasn't until Keith approached me again after 10 years of being trained but not doing it hey the world has changed third party payers are now paying for it medicare is paying for it would you like to join the game again you know would you like to get back in yeah. and i'm like i loved it when i was doing it i just had to stop doing it because i wasn't getting paid for it so <laughs> but i started doing it again because I liked the concept. It made sense to me, and the 
data is the data. You know, that's the thing my professor of surgery used to always tell me. The data is the data. And you've got it laid out right there with outstanding results, and I think superior results compared to the uh, Nissen. So I just, I jumped right on board and said, absolutely, this is something I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of. Wonderful. Wonderful. So you were uh, doing TIFFs with the very first iteration then way back when. And so that very probably, much. yeah, also helped um, with the new uh, 2.0 device, uh, make it a little bit easier on you. Yeah, <laughs> pick, pick right back up and just kind of, you know, it's like riding a bicycle. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's fantastic. It's a much better bicycle. <laughs> yeah. So I'm told. So ago. I'm told. Yes. Uh, Lynn, did we have more questions? We do. Um, and thank you for addressing the insurance question. Big one in the thread here. So um, the fact that it is covered by Medicare and most insurance is a great uh, benefit to everyone. Um, we have a question about Barrett's esophagus. Can that be reversed with a TIF procedure? Yeah, you uh, you certainly can. You know, the Barrett's is just a, a change in the microscopic appearance of the cells and well not just microscopic you can actually see it with your you know uh, uh, grossly with your uh, when you're doing a scope uh, what looks like Barrett's or you suspect it's Barrett's and so they put it under the microscope look at it and it's got these changes that are occurring because of the chronic irritation but you know you've got cells that slough off regularly and get replaced by new cells regularly so uh, if you've got uh, a particularly a milder case of Barrett's where it hadn't advanced to too much dysplasia, uh, you have a TIF procedure and then you can go back a year or two down the road and you'll have a normal appearing esophagus without any Barrett's. Barrett's. Fantastic. Well, uh, do we have any last questions, Lynn, before we uh, close out for the evening? I think we're I think we're good. We've got um, we've got most of them answered in in groups. So thank you so much, Dr. Harkroder. Hey, was happy happy to be here. Thank you all for inviting me, and I'm happy to come back anytime. Yeah, before we before we let you off the hook, Dr. Harkroder, I always like to ask this: if there's any one last advice that you'd give to any patient that's out there, um, maybe considering um, or have been suffering from GERD for, for years or just recently, what would you recommend or what would be that word of advice? Uh, I, I guess the biggest thing to remember is that if you're taking something like a PPI to control your symptoms, you're just controlling the symptoms. You're not controlling the reflux. And that's still a dangerous situation to be in. So I would strongly encourage anyone that's suffering from reflux that is more frequently than just the occasional, let me pop a couple of Tums because I've got a little indigestion. Uh, this is really uh, getting the anatomic defect corrected is really the only way to properly resolve that problem, solve that problem. Fantastic, thank you. and. Uh, one last uh, question or comment maybe you can answer. If they were going to get scoped and needed to see someone, can they see a GI? Can they come and see you as a general surgeon directly? How does 
Well, it, for my particular practice, I do not require a GI uh, referral. As a matter of fact, a lot of times if a GI doctor has scoped the patient, I'm probably going to want to rescope them myself to see what's there. So they're probably better off just coming straight to me. Now, there are times when I might refer them to a GI doctor to get some of those tests done, the Bravo test, the manometry tests. But, you know, they can talk to their primary care doctor uh, or they can just go to uh, to your, your website or GERDhelp.com and, and just self-refer. I do accept self-referrals. Fantastic. Fantastic. Perfect. That's what I was going to ask you next. So, um, you, well, you just uh, almost closed out the, the night for me by telling everybody that if they're looking for a physician in their area, they can go to GERDhelp.com. Um, and find someone. If you're in the Missouri area, you, they can come and find you, right, Dr. Hargroder? Um, but if you're, yeah, and if you're not, uh, as Dr. Hargroder mentioned, GERDhelp.com does have a physician finder on there. You can put in your zip code or your state and you'd be able to find a physician, TIF-trained physician uh, near you. Um, well, Dr. Hargroder, we can't thank you enough for joining us this evening. We really appreciate your insight. I love all of the innuendos with your does, what did you call them again? The, the you like my pucker? The puckers, the pucker. Yes, the pucker. Uh, or, or they're bearing down. Oh, I don't want to do too much <laughs> um, exercise. So it was a pleasure having you tonight. We really appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much. And, and to all of you that are watching or joined tonight, uh, thank you for asking your questions and joining us. Um, you can catch us every Tuesday night for our TIFF Talk Tuesdays. And uh, thank you again. Uh, we look forward to seeing you again. Have a good evening. If you are suffering from chronic acid reflux and want more information, please visit GERDhelp.com or download our GERDhelp mobile app. Thanks for tuning into another episode of TIFF Talk. Leave your questions and comments on our social media at GERDhelp. Live well, GERD free.